Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promoting for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If. Only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hello, and welcome to Tiny Vampires, a podcast about disease science, and blood-sucking insects, a member of the Agora Podcast Network. This is episode 22 How can stomach botflies live in such an inhospitable environment, and how do they breathe? I'm Raven Forrest Ruscalzo, your host. Fair warning, this episode is kind of gross, so if you don't have a strong stomach, I recommend you holding off until the next episode. This topic was sent in by Kyle Harrison via Facebook. And I also want to introduce you to my surprise guest, Aaron Updike from This Podcast Will Kill You. Super gracious for you to come and be Tiny Vampire's first uh, guest co-host. Yeah, I'm thrilled. (laughs) So This Podcast Will Kill You is a podcast that's all about infectious diseases. So if you're already into bugs and especially the blood-sucking kind of bugs, then you're probably into the diseases that they transmit to Um, So it's a fun podcast. Each episode, we go into a different disease and we discuss the history of the disease throughout time, the biology and the pathology of how that disease actually manifests and how it, you know, makes you sick. And then we talk about the epidemiology or the current state of affairs of the disease in the world today. But yeah, it's a fun, I would say, check it out if you haven't. So uh, let's get started by covering some general info about flies. Yeah, so flies are a really cool group of insects. It's a whole order of insects and one of like the most diverse groups for sure. Um, and it includes everything from mosquitoes and like gnats all the way to like the house flies and horse flies and of course bot flies. So flies are pretty diverse, both in terms of their lifestyle and, you know, things that they feed on and where they live ecologically. But one thing that all flies do is they have what we call complete metamorphosis. So that means that when an adult fly lays its eggs, and then those eggs will hatch into what we call a larval stage. And that is what we refer to as maggots in the flies. So maggots are exactly what you think maggots are. They're the gross things coming out of your trash can when you forgot to take your trash out and you went on vacation for 10 days. Never happened to me. (laughs) (laughs) 
yeah, me yeah. either. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> um, but yeah, so that's what maggots are. It's basically just the larval stage or the immature stage of a fly. And those will go through multiple different what we call instars, which just means, you know, because insects have a hard exoskeleton, they can't grow, their bones don't grow with them the way that humans do. So they have to eat a whole bunch and then they molt that exoskeleton and then they grow a bunch and then they eat a whole bunch more and then grow again and, and shed that exoskeleton. So every time they do that, we call that a different instar. So They'll have multiple different instars and they'll grow bigger and bigger with each one until you have a giant, gooey, writhing maggot that will then pupate, which basically is just like what you think of what a butterfly chrysalis is. Flies do the exact same thing. So they'll have this like stage where they basically have a harder outer skeleton inside of that pupa. They just all of their insides change completely and then they come out as a fly with two wings and big old eyes and yeah then they fly around your house and eat all of your food or find their way into your open wounds oh those are fun ones yeah so uh so that's why it's called complete metamorphosis because um you have a maggot looks nothing at all like a fly does so we're talking about bot flies today yeah Yes. <laughs> Botflies are fun because they are super gross and really gnarly. And the thing that I really like about them is that they're so hard to find in real life, like to find adult specimens of them. It's like super rare. Entomology nerds are like, the, it's like a prize in collections because like the adults are really hard to find. And the ones that we mostly see are the larvae, right? The maggots. So yeah, botflies are in a group of flies called Oestridae. Um, it used to be a bunch of different families, and then they collapse it all into one big one. Um, and so there's the human botfly, which is what I'm most familiar with and what a lot of people are probably most familiar with because it's the one that you might you know, hear horror stories about or watch like Dr. Pimple Popper videos of, like the <laughs> botfly getting popped out of someone's head or something like that. Yeah. I had a friend whose head botfly was on one of those, like, conglomeration of the best popping videos of all time. It was oh my gosh. highlight. <laughs> but those guys, so the human botflies make their little larval home in your skin. So just underneath the first few layers of your skin. And then they stick their butts out. And then that's how they breathe, which I think you're going to talk more about how insects breathe in a little bit. Yeah? Yeah. Um. But yeah, they just live their whole little larval lives chewing on your skin and your cells and your blood and then live in their lives. And then they pop out as pupa. They'll pupate and then they'll turn into an adult fly. So it's pretty crazy. And the human botflies actually lay their eggs on mosquitoes or other biting flies. And then those biting flies, yeah, yeah, lay their eggs into your skin, like when they bite you. Because adult bot flies don't have any mouth parts whatsoever because they don't need to feed. They just basically mate, lay eggs, and then die. So the human bot flies, that's how they manage to make their eggs make their way into your body is by sort of working in conjunction with other biting flies. Whereas the right, horse, one more thing to love about mosquitoes, right? Exactly. <laughs> like if they didn't give us enough, <laughs> uh, 
Um, whereas the horse spot flies just lay their eggs right on the fur, either around like the mouth or just on their legs or something. And then the horses have to actually like lick their legs or if the flies lay their eggs near the mouth, then they, once the eggs hatch, the larvae can just sort of crawl into a horse's mouth, which is so grody. And what I did not know about horse bot flies until I started researching for this episode was just how long lived they are, the larvae. Oh, I yeah. mean, because they, they basically crawl into the horse's mouth and then have an entire stage, like their first instar stage is inside of the mouth where they just like burrow into the gum and start growing there by eating, chewing on gum cells. And then... After they're after they molt into second instar, they'll crawl down the esophagus and into the stomach, where they actually live for another eight to ten months before yeah. popping out the other end. It's quite a life. It it <laughs> is. It's so crazy to me. I'm really excited to hear the research that you did on how these things actually survive because I think it's insane. <laughs> yeah. All right. So let's get into uh, the crux of Kyle's question which was um, how do botflies actually breathe in there? Um, so the this question was taken on by L. Levenbuck back in 1950 in their paper, The Effect of Carbon Dioxide and Certain Respiratory Inhibitors in the Respiration of Larvae of the Horse Botfly. Uh, but before we get too deep into the paper, I wanted to kind of talk about um, how insects breathe in general, and then we can get into how stomach botflies are different. So just like humans, the primary purpose of breathing is not to get oxygen. Um, a lot of people think that that is true, but in reality, it's actually to get rid of CO2. So if an average insect, or a human for that matter, was completely paralyzed, they would actually die of the buildup of CO2 in their blood long before they ran out of oxygen. That's awesome. So, I don't think I knew that. <laughs> I've like taken physiology classes. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah. yeah. The CO2 it interacts with water to create acid, and the increased acidity in your blood triggers a receptor in your brain, and that is actually what makes your lungs start screaming at you when you're holding your breath underwater. Um, it's the increase in acidity of your blood that makes you want to breathe. Nice. So um, to get rid of that CO2, uh, which is produced as a byproduct of digesting their food, just like with people, insects have holes in their sides called spiracles which lead to tubes that go throughout their body, bringing the air directly to the cells that need it. The CO2 moves out of the cells that are producing it and into the air in the tubes, and then out of the body through those spiracle holes. At the same time the CO2 is moving out, the oxygen from the air moves from the air into the tubes and then into the cells. It's a much more direct way of breathing compared to humans who produce CO2 in their cells, which moves into their blood, and then their blood moves all the way through their body to their lungs, where then we breathe it out. 
and then the oxygen goes through the same exact process except in reverse. There are two things that make botfly maggots oddballs when it comes to breathing. Uh, the first is they're more like humans in that they group a bunch of these tubes together in their bodies, evolving into something more like a lung than what other insects have. So this, quote, lung-type organ is made out of giant tracheal cells. So from now on, that's what we're going to call it, just giant tracheal cells. These cells are chock full of hemoglobin, which is the same uh, protein that humans have in their blood that is great at collecting oxygen. Uh, connected to this lung are spiracles, just like with other insects, but these spiracles are actually inside of a fold that can be shut to be airtight. So what Levenbuch wanted to do was figure out what these strange spiracles and giant tracheal cells were doing um, and how they enable the maggots to survive inside of the stomach. So first he collected maggots from a dead horse's stomach, rest in peace, <laughs> um, and then uh, split the maggots into three different groups. Some were left alone. He didn't mess with them at all. And some had their spiracles sewn open and that exposed those giant tracheal cells to whatever atmosphere he was going to expose them to. And then the third group had their folds sewn shut. So this was effectively making the maggots hold their breath. Wow. Man, old school entomologists just did the craziest experiments. <laughs> yeah, I can't imagine. I don't know how you suture a maggot. Yeah, it does not <laughs> sound easy. <laughs> so, um... These different groups were then put into jars with different types of atmospheres. So one of the atmospheres was just normal air. One was pure oxygen, pure CO2, or carbon dioxide. Same. Those two things are the same thing. I'm probably going to keep going back and forth. Sorry about that. <laughs> um, and then some of them just had a pure vacuum. In some of these jars, so one for each different type of atmosphere – he put a vial of potassium hydroxide, which would absorb any of the CO2 that was in the atmosphere and also absorb any of the CO2 that the maggots were breathing out. Uh, then he let the maggots sit for three hours. There's a lot of maggots. And so that like, obviously this produced a lot of data, but I'm going to kind of condense it down for you guys. And basically, in the end, he ended up with some really surprising results. When the maggots could not shut their folds, so basically not allowing them to hold their breath, and they had no access to CO2, then their giant tracheal cells would actually rupture and spill that hemoglobin into the rest of their body, which eventually killed them. Oof. Which sounds like a horrible way I was to go. just thinking that exact same thing. Like, this does not sound like the way I'd want to go. Uh, yeah, even for a maggot, uh, <laughs> that's 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 pretty rough. Yeah. So the maggots with normal folds that he didn't mess with, and then the maggots with folds that were sewn shut, they held. They could hold in their CO two that was being produced by the cells of their body. But the ones that had their folds held open, even if they had plenty of oxygen, 
they still died of suffocation. You might think, how can this be? They have a way to get rid of CO2, like we talked about. That's the most important thing. And they had plenty of oxygen. So you think this is the perfect environment and this is exactly what all animals would want. But instead, they suffocated. This is the thing that makes them really weird. And it's because the maggots actually needed the CO2 to keep the goo that is inside their giant tracheal cells inside of their giant tracheal cells. Uh, Protoplasm, which is inside of every single cell, regardless of the different kind of animal or plant or anything, it has to stay inside Um, just like our blood needs to stay inside of our bodies. If it comes out, then the cell really can't survive. Somehow, the CO2 was interacting with the fluid to make sure that the consistency of this protoplasm was actually staying the way that it needed to be and making sure that the cells didn't rupture. Without CO2, you know, remember that CO2 was being absorbed by that potassium hydroxide. So without it, the cells actually ruptured. And just like humans, if we have a ruptured lung, we can't breathe. So even though they had plenty of oxygen, they couldn't breathe because their breathing organ had basically been destroyed. So the surprising finding that the maggots in the stomach hold these flaps closed until they sense that there's higher than normal oxygen. They open the flaps and let the oxygen in, uh, collecting in this hemoglobin-rich giant tracheal cells. Then they close them and keep them closed. Then they have oxygen and the CO2 that they're producing, which keeps those giant tracheal cells intact. Nice. (laughs) Levenbuch's research was funded by the United Kingdom's Agricultural Research Council. Uh, So what did you think of it? Yeah, that is so crazy that, that these pupae, especially because when you, when you think of maggots, you don't think, you don't look at them and think there's a lot going on there. <laughs> you know, yeah. they're just kind of like little, like grody balls, balls of, goo. of goo. Exactly. <laughs> so the fact that they can not only control so much about when they're, you know, when these spiracles are going to be open or when they're going to be closed, but also be able to sense the environment to know, okay, now I need to open up and get some oxygen. The infestations of these botflies inside of horses' stomachs are insane. Like if if people, if listeners have never seen a picture, Google it because it's nuts. They're like just dozens and hundreds of them. When you cut open a horse's stomach post-mortem, it's, oh my God, it's crazy. Yeah. Or if you are a sensitive person, oh. don't Google it. <laughs> yeah, good point. I never remember to make those kind of warnings. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's a reason the picture for this episode is one of the adults. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> the adults also are so cute. Yeah, they're um, they're really fluffy yeah. and are yellow and black striped, so they kind of look like bumblebees. They do. <laughs> Poor horses. They're just like, what, yeah. did I, what did I do to deserve this? You know, just covered in <laughs> yeah. flies inside and out. 
So uh, if you have a horse and you're concerned about this, <laughs> if if I had a horse and I was listening to this, I would definitely be concerned. <laughs> One of the things that you can do to prevent it is actually just doing really thorough poop scooping in the early spring and late winter because this is when those maggots are actually coming out of, you know, the horses are actually pooping them out. So if you can, like, clean that up and get it away from the horses um, and dispose of it properly, then those flies won't be flying around, like, mating and then flying around and laying the eggs. So did you look into the um, treatments at all? I know for horses, it's common to use ivermectin, which is kind of a general Mm -hmm. anti-parasitic. Um, so that's a treatment that they use often that gets rid of bot flies, both when they're in that oral stage, so that first instar that's inside their mouth, and then also in the stomach stage as well. Well, thankfully, there is a treatment. Um, also, it's pretty uncommon for them to kill the horse. Uh, they can cause ulcers, which can cause secondary infections, and that can uh, seriously weaken the animals, and especially if they already have other problems like immune system issues or whatever then that can lead to death but the bot flies themselves can't actually uh kill the horse directly which is yeah it's a relief (laughs) their range is almost the entire world yeah basically if you can find horses you can find these stomach bot flies another thing that i found really interesting was how big they Mm. get um, so the third instar, which is the instar that Levenbook was actually doing most of his research on, get to the uh, three-fourths of an inch <sighs> or 1.9 centimeters big. Wow, that's like almost half my thumb. Well, can you tell everyone um, where people can find out more about you and this podcast will kill you? Yeah, of course. So you can find us probably most commonly on Twitter at TPWKY, which stands for this podcast will kill you. <laughs> and then you can find me also on Twitter at Epidemic Aaron. Um, we have an Instagram and a Facebook page as well for the podcast. That's just this podcast will kill you both on Instagram and Facebook. Um. And then, yeah, find us on iTunes and wherever you're listening to this podcast, unless it's on the Tiny Vampires website, because we're not there. (laughs) (laughs) Awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you. And being my first guest (laughs) co-host. Yeah, it was super Um, fun. Yeah, you get a gold star. Yes, that's all I've ever wanted. (laughs) No, a gold mosquito. Oh, my God, even Uh, better. (laughs) (laughs) Well, thank you so much. Have a good day. Thanks, you too. Next month, in episode 23, we have a question from one of Tiny Vampire Espanol's listeners about mosquito control method using a bacteria called Wolbachia. This method is already being used in some countries around the world and might be not all that far from your neighborhood. August's Agora Podcast of the Month is Heather Tesco, the host of the Renaissance English History Podcast. If you like all things tutors, with all the drama of Henry VIII lopping off his wives' heads, then this is the podcast for you. I want to thank my guest, Aaron Updike, from This Podcast Will Kill You. It was super fun having her on. 
be sure to check them out for more fascinating medical science. Thank you for listening from me, Raven Forrest. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. 